Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Well, hello, welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Grant Percet. Nate is out today, so you'll be hearing from me. Well, I want to introduce the topic by saying, please go vote. What's going on right now? Presidential elections. So um, while I'm not endorsing any candidates, I want to make clear that voting is very important. I want you to vote your conscience, and I just have a couple comments that I want to let you know about voting that I think will make you realize that it's a little more important than you thought. So a lot of people don't like either candidate. They say, I'm not voting for Hillary, I'm not voting for Trump, I'm not voting Democrat or Republican. Here is some information that I have to admit I really wasn't familiar with until recently. I was listening to Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek of crossexamined.org, and he has a, on his podcast he was talking about an article from Miriam Bell. And Miriam Bell, who had worked in the Beltway, had worked a lot in government, she really explained and kind of brought home something that I didn't know about, and that's this. When you or I are voting for president, we are not just voting for one person. And I kind of had this vague notion. I kind of realized, yeah, they come with a, a cabinet, the vice president, and you know they have their uh, different department positions in their cabinets. But listen to what she says. She says that when you elect a president, you are electing someone who is going to politically appoint 4,000 other people as the head of agencies, as the head of departments, and the head of different programs. Now, that's not including all those people in that program. As you can imagine, the person in charge probably has a little bit of influence. So not only will the president politically appoint 4,000 people over those agencies, departments, and programs. But they will also appoint political appointees another 3,000 of different boards and commissions. That's 7,000 people we're talking about so far, and that's just the people in charge of the boards, commissions, agencies, departments, and programs. That doesn't include 300 more people to the judiciary. And this, you guessed it, this also includes the Supreme Court. So I cannot avoid talking about the Supreme Court just for a minute here. Let's think about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uh, has eight people left on it. Unfortunately, Scalia passed away a little while ago. But whoever becomes president will at least uh, have influence over appointing one other person. But when you look at the ages of the Supreme Court justices, the average age of retirement is about 80 years old. And between one and three other people could retire during the next term. And then if the next president runs two terms, I mean, they could have a huge influence. So when, it, when you're talking about issues... 
Um, sometimes people have said, well, the, the court has been conservative. That has not been true at all. 1973 Roe v. Wade has never been overturned. Same-sex marriage being passed in 2015, never uh, close to being overturned, at least uh, in, in this time, and nothing in the future really looking like it, um, in the near future, let's say. And then also you have Obamacare. So if you're happy with Obamacare, then good. If not, well, the, the Supreme Court justices will have huge influence over that. So that was 7,300 people at least that the president will, will appoint politically. Now let me just give you one example of what political appointees do. One person that Miriam Bell mentioned was Lois Lerner. And as you probably remember, she was the one at the IRS who did not grant 501c3 status to people or groups, excuse me, because they were too conservative. She's a political appointee. So don't believe me on this stuff. Start looking it up. Look up Lois Lerner. Look up the different political appointees. But I had no idea how much power was really in the hands of a president. I knew, yeah, they, they put in uh, Supreme Court justices, they make major decisions, they have a lot of power of the executive branch, but they will politically appoint so many other people that it's just, it's just a vast amount of power. So I'm encouraging you to vote. That is my theme today. And when you vote, yes, vote your conscience, but the issues are important. And Supreme Court justices are just one small, well, I shouldn't say small, one area that the president will have a large influence over. But I want you to think about it this way. I'm going to quote Frank Turek again. Frank Turek said that the Supreme Court Bad decisions, specifically, of the Supreme Court are responsible for more deaths of Americans than all the wars America have been in combined. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the court decision of Roe v. Wade. Since 1973, estimated 60 million abortions. 60 million abortions. Bill Clinton said safe, legal, and rare. Didn't turn out that way, did it? With over a million abortions last year, anything but safe, legal, and rare. Is 60 million enough? Now, you might say, well, Grant, are you, are you a single-issue person? Well, I think everyone, to an extent, is a single-issue person. If you were looking at a candidate running for president and said, man, he or she is just a great person. I love their fiscal policy. I agree with pretty much everything they teach, only, well... They just embezzle from the IRS and beat their children. Well, that those things would spoil everything else, wouldn't it? If there was someone that was a great president, but he believed in slavery, I think we would all become one-issue people very quickly. So this is an incredibly important issue, and I think it's just one of many issues. I want to talk about it more today because it is that important. Now, Specifically, I want to talk about how do you talk about the pro-life view? How do you talk about abortion? Because if you talk about abortion, if you talk about voting and you say, well, the pro-life issue is very important to me, well, you're very quickly going to find yourself answering pro-life challenges and being in a discussion about abortion. And so the first thing that I try to tell people is 
have some questions in mind. Greg Kokel is a great apologist of Stand to Reason. He has a book called Tactics, and he talks about the power of asking questions. When you get a challenge, you can get out of the hot seat by asking a question. It puts the ball back in the other person's court. It takes the pressure off you. It gives you time to think. You can be very polite by asking questions and instead of being argumentative. It has so many advantages. So that is a theme uh, when it comes to uh, political conversations. I think it's a theme when it comes to witnessing our Christian faith is have questions that you can ask that will get yourself out of the hot seat Keep the conversation from becoming argumentative and really pushing your point forward. You can rightly steer a conversation in the way you want it to go and the way it should go by asking questions. So when I find myself in a question about abortion and discussion on the pro-life issue, I have a question I like to ask people. And it is probably my favorite question I like to start with. And it is this. If you found out that abortion hurt women, if you found out abortion hurt women, would that make you think more? So number one, look how soft the question is. I'm just saying, if you found out abortion hurt women. I'm not saying abortion hurts women. That's the truth. That is absolutely the truth in my opinion and from what I've seen and from what I've read. But I'm asking it very gently. I'm saying, hey... If you found out that abortion hurt women, would that make you think more? Now, look, at there's not a whole lot of commitment there. I'm just asking you to think a little bit more. I'm not even asking you to commit being a, a pro-lifer or um, vote the way. I'm not asking you at the moment. I'm not asking you anything. So here's the question that I suggest you memorize for your next conversation when you're talking about abortion, and it is this. If abortion hurt women... Would that make you think more? Now, the question alone gives the idea. People are getting the hint. Hey, is he saying abortion hurts women? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying abortion hurts women. But just by asking the question, you're bringing up that point and making the point. We can become more educated on how to defend that. And I have a lot of um, anecdotes because I know women who've had abortions. There's women online who've testified it. But be careful. People will say, well, I know someone who had an abortion, and it doesn't bother them at all. That is not my point. I could argue they're in denial. I could argue that studies have shown the average period of denial is over five years. But that's not the point. The point is abortion hurts many, many women. And so... Where's the counseling from Planned Parenthood or where's the help for women who it hurts? I mean, I take different medications. I've gotten shots. And if you read some of the medications, they're more scary than the, the shot itself. They'll say one out of 150,000 people and they'll list, you know, 100 different diseases that maybe possibly could have been caused by this medicine in a really, really small degree. Well, there are statistics out there, and this is a, a political hotbed um, discussion. So even the research is difficult to find in the United States. You even have to go worldwide because the, even the research is influenced by politics. But there are studies that show that one out of four women attempts suicide who has had an abortion. Now, I don't. let's just say that statistic is way, way high. What if it was one out of ten? 
What if it was one out of a hundred? What if it was one out of a thousand? Why are we not hearing that? Where are the warnings that abortion hurts women? So that's my first point, is have that question in mind when you find yourself in a discussion on abortion, especially if you're talking about voting and they say, why are you voting away? And you say, the pro-life issue is very important to me. And they give you a pro-life challenge. You can say, hey, can I ask you a question? If you found out that abortion hurt women, would that make you think more? That's the first approach I use. From there, what I do is I simply educate them on the state of how far abortion has gone. Now, lately in the news, we've heard about the selling, Planned Parenthood selling baby body parts. I'm not, I'm not advocating you don't use that or don't say that. It's a big fight right now. People are very desensitized. And I find that when I bring that up, the conversation escalates very fast. People write it off, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. So I, I'm not telling you not to use it. I just haven't had really great success in conversations using it. And so I quote um, a case from, I think it's 2013. Memorize this name, Kermit Gosnell, G-O-S-N-E-L-L. Kermit Gosnell was convicted of killing babies after birth. He was performing late-term abortions unsuccessfully. The babies were born, and he was convicted for murdering babies outside the womb. I read the 278-page grand jury indictment, um, definitely not in one sitting because that, you'd have to take antidepressants to do that. Um, but in in his in the grand jury indictment, he joked around with another lady that was there. They had there was a baby that was literally flopping in the toilet, and he joked around that this one's big enough to walk me to the bus stop. I mean, the callous heart of this man and the state. Google 3801 Lancaster, and there's a 20-minute video that shows the inside of this clinic. It was atrocious, blood stains, urine stains. I mean, you couldn't make a horror movie worse, equipment that didn't work. He didn't want to pay for the fetuses, the baby bodies, to be taken away every week like they should have been. So there were basically fetuses in milk cartons, in jugs, it was insane, and people that have gone there testify that they the smell outside the clinic was just atrocious. Now, the sad thing is Kermit Gosnell was an African-American. He was treating white women better and putting them on one side that was just a little bit nicer than black women. That, it makes no sense to me. I can't explain it. But then again, I'm not going to explain the, the whole thing. I'm just going to ask people, have you heard of Kermit Gosnell? And another reason I bring him up is people can look him up for absolutely free. They don't have to go to a Christian website. They don't have to buy a book. They don't have to listen more to me. But if they want to seek the truth and they want to know, right, they want an education, they want to look at things for themselves, Google Kermit Gosnell. One thing that was just very shocking was also in this court case, you looked at the, at the press box and it was basically empty. I mean, this was confusing to me. This was very confusing to me. There was a story at the same time of a man um, who was in Antioch, California. I think his last name was Castro. And he had 
um, kidnapped girls, was keeping them in the basement. And when they got pregnant, he was kicking them in the stomach to force abortions. This was going at the same time. We heard about this. We heard about this at the same time. It was all over the news. In fact, you probably remember that. However, did you ever hear of Kermit Gosnell? And when I ask people, I'm just shocked to find educated, intelligent, news-watching, younger and older people who've never even heard of Kermit Gosnell. So please memorize the name Kermit Gosnell and simply ask the question, have you heard of Kermit Gosnell? Now, as if it's not shocking enough, in the grand jury indictment, what I found out was the Department of Health, the State Department of Health over Gosnell's clinic knew what was going on. They knew it, and he was in business for three decades. Let me say that again. He was in business for three decades. So you know how he got caught? He was actually writing prescription drug. He was writing prescriptions for drugs and just giving them out, letting the girls um, that were working there when he wasn't there hand him out. And so people got suspicious, and I think authorities got suspicious of, of more the drug side of things. But when they went to the facility, they just couldn't believe how bad it was. Equipment that didn't work. You couldn't get out the emergency exit. It was just insane. So um, I think I've driven this point home, and I, I want you to remember, if you forget anything else, remember the question, have you heard of Kermit Gosnell? And you can look at the information online for free and check it out for yourself. So let me review just a little bit. I'm talking today about voting, okay? If you're just turning in, you're listening to The God Solution with Grant Percet. Nate is not here today. I'm talking about voting, voting your conscience. I'm not endorsing any candidate, but I am reminding people that you're not just voting for one candidate. You are voting for a whole worldview and ideology that will be lived out by over 7,000 political appointees under whichever person you put in the presidency. And I talked about they'll be head of agencies, departments, and programs, boards, and commission, but also the, one of the most important long-term things that a sitting president does is get Supreme Court justices elected to the Supreme Court, which will affect um, things in America for decades and decades and decades. I've heard 50 years. I think it's longer. Roe v. Wade um, already is showing that it is going to be probably around for longer. Um, so, And then one of the worst uh, decisions by the Supreme Court Bad decision, most harmful decision was Roe v. Wade that has now killed over 60 million babies, 60 million people. And then for the pro-life issue, my encouragement when you get caught in a conversation about abortion because you say, hey, that's something that's important to me. I'm voting for a candidate that's pro-life or that has that is more pro-life than the other. Um, you can ask the person if you found out that abortion hurt women. Would that make you think more? A powerful question. You're really driving home the point that abortion does hurt women. And then I got done talking about Kermit Gosnell. If you forget the state of um, the abortion industry, what's going on, you're welcome to talk about the selling of baby parts. I don't get very far in those conversations these days because it's it's so fresh and people are kind of in denial. And um, so I ask him, have you heard of Kermit Gosnell? 
And let me go back to the, the first question I suggested. If abortion hurts women, would that make you think more? The reason I ended up asking that question after a while is because people are so desensitized to the unborn. People have heard abortion takes the life of an innocent human being, but for some reason they're ready for it. They've heard it. They're, they're sadly, sadly desensitized to it, and so they want to talk about the woman. And so I start off by talking about the woman, and I ask him, if you found out it hurt women, would that make you think more? Because that question goes to the very foundation of pro-abortion propaganda. It goes right to the foundation, because what is the pro-abortion propaganda? It's the idea that this is for women's health, women's rights. This is going to be good for women. But the question itself says, if abortion hurts women, would that make you think more? Because any real rational person would have to say, yes. Now, you have to be able to talk about that a little more. So now I'd like to move on to the heart of really the argument for the pro-life case. And I'm, I'm drawing information from two other great Christian apologists. One is Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason Ministries. And the other is Scott Klusendorf of Life Training Institute. They have uh, CDs, they have free videos, websites, go to Life Training Institute, and Scott Klusendorf has these five-minute, um, one-page articles that you can read that help you defend what do you say about stem cell research, what do you say about cloning, what do you say about life, and he has really, really succinct, good arguments. I want to just briefly share some of those with you because it is a tremendous case for life, but remember... I'm giving the case for life after I go to the heart of the pro-abortion propaganda and ask people, if you found out abortion hurt women, would that make you think more? I'm going there first, and that's the way I do it. You decide for yourself, but that's the way I do it because people think that abortion helps women. So once they're softened up a little bit logically and they realize there might be more to this than, than I know— and once you've had a chance to talk a little bit, you try to develop a nice rapport, of course. We want to be uh, respectful ambassadors of Christ in our biblical worldview. So hopefully at that point they realize we're not going to yell at them. We're not going to get overly defensive. If they want to talk or even rant for a little while, then we'll let them. And another very important point is if the abortion issue comes up and somebody gets very upset very quickly and it almost takes you aback, chances are they've had an abortion or been involved with abortion. And in my opinion, I step completely out of debate mode, apologetics mode, and you step into friend or counselor mode, and you try to get people help because we don't want to, we want to win the person, not the argument. We want to win the person. We want to love the person. We want to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we want to love our neighbor as ourself. Okay, so let's, let me transition here into the argument for the unborn, and this is specifically put out by Greg Kokel and uh, uh, Scott, I'm using more from Scott Klusendorf. So the basic argument is very, very simple. Number one, it's wrong to take innocent human life. Number two, abortion takes innocent human life. Therefore, abortion is wrong. It's wrong to take innocent human life. Abortion takes innocent human life. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Pretty straightforward, right? 
Well, let's talk about the challenges that you're going to get and that people put against it in the basic case. So people usually at first don't argue it's wrong to take innocent human life. They'll argue that abortion takes innocent human life. They'll say, well, maybe it's not human life. I was going to my wife's uh, appointment where she was getting the ultrasound, and it, she was pregnant with our daughter, um, and I was at work. I was leaving, and one of the guys said, hey, you know, uh, your daughter has gills now. And I said, my daughter has what? And he said, your daughter has gills. And I, I said, are you serious? I mean, I, did, I thought he was just playing around with me. Well, when I went into the doctor, I said, uh, does my daughter have gills or anything? And he kind of looked at the nurse, and they kind of laughed. And he said, no, no, he, she gets everything from the umbilical cord. He, babies don't have gills. And I, I realized later on just the, the philosophy that had pervaded society, and it's this really weird thing called ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, and it was the idea that the embryo, that the development of the baby really undergoes all the same evolutionary changes that supposedly humanity did, but uh, turned out to be completely false. But there's a lot of confusion with the pro-life issue. So people are going to argue this point that maybe it's not human life. So Scott Klusendorf's main point is that from the earliest stages of human development, the unborn is alive, separate, and whole. And so just briefly, these three parts we can, we can defend. The unborn is alive, number one. Traditionally, embryology, there has been really no debate until modern, really recently, about embryology that life begins at conception. After conception, nothing else is needed for the baby to grow into you. And the way that I share this in conversation is I say, what scientific discipline should we go to to discover when life begins? And most people don't know. And so when you say embryology, you've already showed them. You're looking at scientific evidence. We have a society that respects science as kind of a, the go-to discipline. And so we can quote it. According to embryology, life begins at conception. If you go to Life Training Institute, Scott Klusendorf, he has quotes from embryologists on this issue. Some people will say, well, we don't know when life begins. Well, wait a minute. If we don't know, then we shouldn't do abortion. I mean, if you see a bag or a coat on the road and you don't know if there's a homeless person in it, you avoid it. You don't run over it. So that's really not an argument for. Next, the unborn is separate. When the doctor took the heartbeat of my daughter, he warned me and said, hey, listen, the heartbeat's going to be a lot faster. I said, okay. And so, wait a minute. My wife didn't have two hearts. So he was telling me my daughter had her own separate body. She had her own separate heartbeat, her own ner nervous system, her brain, everything she needs to live and grow as a separate human being. Uh, Greg Kokel has kind of a funny one. He, when he gets into a debate with a, a female, he'll say, can I ask you a personal question? Do you have a penis? And when she says no, he says, well, can your baby have a penis? And it just clicks that the body of the baby is not the body of the woman. The unborn is a live, separate, and whole human being. The unborn is a whole human being, not partly human. If you put 10 embryos in the science lab and you said, 
All right, let me look at those. If you ask, what are the parents? That's a frog and a frog have that embryo. And what is the DNA? That's frog DNA. Okay, that's probably a frog. What about that one? That's a human mother and a human father. And that's human DNA. Okay, that's probably a human being. So I don't know why that is so confusing not to understand that the unborn is alive, separate, and whole. Now you may get a question that if this is a life but not a person, the question you can ask is what's the difference? Some people will say, well, you have to have consciousness. So does that mean if I go to the dentist and I'm unconscious because I'm getting my wisdom teeth pulled that my life's not valuable? It doesn't make any sense. So abortion does take the life of the innocent human being. So once people kind of get pushed in that corner, they go to it's wrong to take innocent human life. And so they may push back on that. So our philosophical argument is there is no morally significant difference between you now and when you are in your mother's womb except your size, your level of development, your environment, and your degree of dependency. And if you go to Scott Klusendorf's website, you can see that none of those things are morally significant enough to warrant killing you. Just because you are smaller, less developed in a different location, and you are dependent on your mother, that is not a reason for abortion. Well, in wrapping up, I want to encourage you to vote. Remember that we're not just voting for one person. We're voting for thousands of people who will be in office through political appointment and Supreme Court. When you find yourself in a discussion about abortion, I encourage you to ask certain questions. Ask if you found out that abortion hurt women, would that change your mind? Have you heard of Kermit Gosnell? Go to Scott Klusendorf's Life Training Institute and find out how to defend the life of the unborn. The unborn is alive, distinct, and whole, and there's nothing morally significant different about you now and when you are in your mother's womb that would warrant killing you. Well, most importantly, as we defend, we are trying to win the person. We want to win them to Christ. We want them to know that God loves them, and although they're separated, we can be united with God again for eternity. I like the acronym ABC, and I talk to people about confessing our need for him that we're sinful and morally corrupt and separated. The B stands for believe in God that Jesus raised him from the dead and accept him and trust God as personal Lord and Savior. Well, also, please go to thegodsolution.com to find other shows with Nate. I've been Grant Brissett. Thank you for spending the time with me. Thank you for letting me um, give you my comments about voting and the pro-life issue. And as Nate says, I want to close with his really nice statement. I like this a lot. An open mind honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always leads to Jesus. God bless you, and and go give him heaven. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.